Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I am Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, and I'm excited to come back with more episodes of this podcast to hopefully encourage you to consider running for office, especially a position I think is so important, and that is state legislatures across the country, from Alaska to Florida and Maine to Hawaii. This is where the legislative action happens, more so than Congress a lot of the time. And a lot, we take some of those for granted, some of those states for granted. Um, and one state I'm happy to come back to uh, again is Montana. And my new friend, hopefully we'll be friends, he is a, a legislator from Montana, Jonathan Carlin. And we're going to talk about what he's doing there. So, Jonathan, how are you today? Good, Tony. How are you? I'm great. Uh, so, Montana is a huge state. Are you in uh, that one place or the other place? <laughs> so, I am in... Western Montana in Missoula, um, the outskirts of my district is sort of from the western edge of the city of Missoula, about 25 miles or so into some of the more rural areas in western Missoula County. And right now I'm, I'm uh, in Helena, which is about 120 miles uh, to the east, and that's our state capital. Yeah, and um, now when I look at other states like uh, Wisconsin and Michigan, Pennsylvania even, there's a big urban-rural divide in terms of districts, but I don't know. Is it like that in Montana? Do you have a lot of urban districts, well, not a lot of urban districts, and then there's the rural districts, or is everyone kind of representing some kind of urban or exurban district? Yeah, it's a great question, and there um, is a pretty stark urban-rural divide. Um, you know, in Montana, in a lot of the 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 mountain west most of the montana has about a million people um, most of those people are living in um in the population centers um in missoula bozeman billings great falls there's of course a lot of people living in the rural areas but you know a, a large portion of the population is, is centered in our in our, our cities and um and in the core urban areas so in downtown missoula bozeman are pretty reliably democratic now um in the outskirts of those areas into the rural areas um it has become very much republican um and so it is there are very few rural um rural seats that are are democratically held and um and one of the places that the republicans are actually gaining ground in montana is in the more urban areas so like Great Falls is an example of a city that's become increasingly Republican. You know, uh, we're in a redistricting cycle, so the next election is going to be after redistricting. So that's going to kind of hit the reset button because there's been a lot of changes in population demographics and things like that. But yeah, there is a very stark urban-rural divide. Um, and, um, you know, my district is is a mix of urban and rural, which is, and it's a swing seat. It was Republican last cycle and then flipped Democrat this cycle. And so that really forced me to campaign just as hard in the rural areas as I did in the more urban areas. But for a lot of people, you know, their seats are, are fairly reliable, you know, are primarily urban or primarily rural. And before we talk about your district, we have to talk about the fact that you ran for it and why you did that, because it's a pretty audacious thing to do, no matter your background. Um, when did you decide to not just be someone who votes in elections, uh, but, and hopefully you voted before then too, but not to... <laughs> To make the jump and say, you know, I'm going to put my hat in and, and run for office. Yeah, it's, um, 
you know, I, I don't know if there's one moment that makes, at least for me, that like that made me decide to run. It's sort of a collection of smaller moments, but um, you know, the main thing was it felt like um, you know, our our politics, both on the state level and national level, has just become so polarized, um, so divided. Um, you know, after January 6th, it felt like we had, you know, a lot of these sort of veins of extremism in our politics that that, that really wasn't serving anyone. And and I, you know, I'm, I'm a moderate Democrat and I and that's how I ran. Um, and, I, and I felt like we needed more people that were sort of truly willing to say, you know, let's come to the middle and let's get work done. You might be a Republican, I might be a Democrat. At the end of the day, we should all be trying to work toward the same end goals, even if we might have slightly different philosophies on on how to best help people. Um, and so I guess I, it felt like, um, you know, I spent during the 2021 legislative session in Montana, I, you know, I spent a, a pretty good amount of time in the Capitol. I was working on a natural resource related bill um, and saw some of the, just how deeply entrenched the polarization was, you know, felt like I'd like to try to be, uh, you know, actively try to move things in a more collaborative direction. Yeah. How much of that polarization in a state like Montana, like moving further away from the media centers of DC and New York, um, how much of that is due to just the way politics is and how much of it is due to just the way we consume information? Like so many people getting their news from Facebook and cable news as opposed to local newspapers. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a great point. One of the things I found campaigning, was things have become really hyper-nationalized, where, you know, when I would knock doors, it felt like most voters, the or many voters, the issues that came up were, were what's happening in D.C., mm-hmm. which is really, really important. But um, a lot of what's happening in our state capitals are, you know, it's not all about the border um, or about a Trump investigation. You know, we're talking about housing, child care, you know, the tax code. Um, and so it felt like things, be, I think because of the loss of local, um, a lot of local journalism, things have become sort of hyper-nationalized, you know, it's about Biden, Trump, Hillary, um, as opposed to, and as opposed to some of the more local issues. And I think what's also happened to some of the, you know, um, feelings about the, the national political parties trickle down. So you know, people associate, because I have a D by my name, I found, you know, many people automatically associate me with the National Democratic Party. And, and I think for Republicans, probably they're associated with the National Republican Party. Um, and there are differences between the state Democrats and the National Democrats. And um, so I think some of that polarization is the nationalization. You know, one of the things I found, though, in the legislature is that things are a lot more collegial than I expected. You know, we take a lot of unanimous votes. I'm, I'm good friends with a lot of Republicans. Um, and so it's, it, I don't, I think the public probably actually views it as a little more, as a little more vitriolic than it, it actually is in the legislature. Well, one thing I've heard from a number of people, including in Montana, is that there's almost like three parties when it comes to state level politics. There is the Democratic Party, which may or may not be in the minority or majority, right? Um, and then there are the hardcore uh, far right Republicans and then the moderate business Republicans who um, in some states may run as Democrats now. Mm-hmm. Is that what it's like there? And you're able to kind of govern with those kind of people 
who are kind of in the middle of whatever that is, because the middle is different mm-hmm. in every state. Yeah, so that, I mean, that's definitely a good way to characterize it. So in, in the state house, there's 33 or 32 Democrats um, and 68 Republicans. But among the Republicans, you know, there are, yeah, I mean, you know, I think you could loosely classify it as the more kind of establishment moderates and the more sort of hard right, you know, just two weeks ago, a Freedom Caucus formed. We don't know exactly how many are in the Freedom Caucus. So, you know, if you, in an auto ways, I think it kind of does mirror the national, what's happening in Congress a little bit. You've got the Montana Freedom Caucus, you've got the moderates. You know, one thing I, I think is that while, you know, on paper it would be, you know, and, and very often what happens is that the Democrats plus the more moderate Republicans who come together, you form a a majority and you can get, you can govern, you can get work done. Now I find with the more hard right people, there's some interesting overlaps when it comes to things like housing. Um, when it comes on certain policy areas, I find that I've been surprised where, you know, they might be very much small government and we can have a great conversation about the role of zoning reforms mm-hmm. that sometimes the establishment Republicans are a little less a little more hesitant to go there and so you know i do think that what i've tried to do is you know regardless of where people fall on that political spectrum i find there's usually some common ground but um yeah i mean i would definitely say the republicans it's a pretty clear split between the more establishment moderates and the more hard right and you know the podcast is called you should run because i think that what i'd like to do is encourage people to consider not just posting on Facebook and or tweeting and being angry, but to take action themselves, especially mm-hmm. if there's... But one thing that I think holds people back is um, that they might have to compromise their values to be in office, whether it is for mm-hmm. fundraising or, you know, you talked about January 6th, and we don't need to spend time on that necessarily, but um, for a lot of people, like I have a guy down the street who went, he was there, I, I'm afraid of him, literally. He's threatened people. Um, but... You know, that is a hard line for me. Like, I don't want to help him out. How do you bridge that as just not a legislator, not a Democrat or Republican, but a human being? Like, these are some, I imagine, some very personal values to you. But if you want to pass things, you're going to have to talk to people who you maybe staunchly disagree with. Yeah, and it's a good question. And, and I can touch on this campaigning. In terms of serving, what I've found is, you know, I, I try to go into any of my conversations with colleagues, regardless of where they fall on the political spectrum is, you know, they were elected by their constituents and they like, you know, yeah, thousands of Montanans chose this person to represent them. And so I want to, you know, really in good faith, try to understand where they're coming from because they have just as much a, a, a right to be there as I do, even if they might be way in my opinion, on a more crazy end of the political spectrum. So I try to go into these conversations like that. It's, you know, I might not agree, but but it is my job to try to understand mm-hmm. where they're coming from. You know, I have found that serving most people are, are you know, um, they are there in good faith. Like, they, they really do believe that, you know, that, that, that they're political philosophy might be really far right, but they believe that's the best way to help people. So I find that taking the time to, you know, at least try to understand that, talk to them about their priorities, um, puts a lot of things in perspective. I might not agree, but I'll find I I understand it more. Um, In in terms of, and so, and I'd say that, you know, there's different 
ways that you know some people might might say you know I I, I think. I don't think that you have to compromise your, your values. I think it's, it's about just trying to come to some level of an understanding. And I also find like, I've told people, you know, I'm not going to vote on your bill, you know, but I really appreciate that. I, I got to learn more about it mm-hmm. and, and see why they're doing it. And people understand, you know, I find that most people understand and they appreciate that you listen to them. And I think it's important to bridge some of these political divides. Like, you know, I mean, I'm a, it's like all grab a, a, dinner or a beer with with any of my colleagues even the furthest right i mean i'm always eager to learn and i find people are surprised sometimes that you know they see oh someone's a democrat they're not gonna give some you know a republican the time of day and you know and i think a lot can can be accomplished by just listening learning um without compromising values um you know and of course there's people that are more into the deal making and stuff like that but i'd say that like I've never felt like I had to compromise my values. I think I will say I think, it, especially if someone's interested in running and it being in the minority party, it can be really frustrating because you see, you know, you see good ideas die, and then you see uh, bad bills get through, and you kind of feel like, you know, the Democrats can be united about it and shout and yell and do everything we can to kill it, and the math just doesn't work, and that can be really frustrating. Yeah, that's a real frustration, and not just in Montana. It's been a frustration here in Pennsylvania until this year when we have kind of a Democratic majority in the state house, and um, even though it's a split with the state Senate. But, um, you know, I, I've asked this question of a number of people, Democrats, who are in the minority party, and I just asked about your colleague, Paul Tusk. Um, so if you are you want to be in office, and you're, why run to be in the minority or, you know, you don't know they're going to be in a minority. You're hoping that your party will win a majority. But you you care about a lot of these issues. You could move to Nevada. You can move to California. You can move to Washington or um, Oregon and maybe do a lot of the same things and pass the things you want on a advocacy basis. So why go through the effort to advocate for Montana, for people in Montana, when, you know, it seems like such a struggle? You know, I, I mean, I guess I feel like this is, where I live and, and, and I love my state and my community. And, um, and to me that, you know, the, I, I try to look at it as like an exciting challenge, right? You know, um, sure. We're in the minority, but, but how can I, during our legislative session, during our interim work to get as much stuff that I think done will benefit my constituents as possible. And a lot of that's not going to have my name on it. Right. Like maybe it's talking to a Republican, trying to convince them to amend their own bill to include like right now I'm working on trying to get renters included in some of the tax rebates and stuff that we're doing. Great. I represent a lot of renters. I think it's good policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that is so, you know, if I'm able to get that done, it, it might not look like I did it. it you know, it might just be trying to talk to Republicans and trying to get them to amend their own bill and they can take the credit for it. Right. Or we can all take credit. Um but the policy will get there and it will get done. And I think that that's, um, you know, I try to view it as an added challenge. It's like, you know, um, it's harder, but it's the right thing to do. And, and I think it also makes, uh, I do think it makes for better policy too. I think if I was serving in the majority and I'm just guessing, um, you know, I, I think I'd probably be looking at policymaking very differently as opposed to if, if anything, 
if there's anything I want to get done, the first thing I think is, you know, how can I try to get a further right rural Republican to be on board? How do I have to message this? How do I have to convey this idea? Um, and I think it makes you better at your job. You know, I, I don't disagree. And also, I don't think the Democrats would be giving up on any state. I not mean Republicans probably shouldn't give up on states either, but I think that giving up on states or districts um, it means giving up on people. So I don't disagree. But um, you know, you talk about uh, housing issues and, and renting. What are the kind of housing issues that you're seeing? Because that's I think now, especially, it's one of the top ten issues in this country for people of all ages and backgrounds. And how's that kind of affecting your district? Oh yeah, I mean. The, the lack of attainable housing um, in Montana has gotten really, really bad. And, and in my, I mean, in my district on the kind of outskirts of Missoula, it's the median home price is now over $500,000 while, you know, wages are not keeping up. Um, and there's just a lack, it's sort of this, it's a lack of, there's just a lack of housing period, a lack of housing that's affordable for people you know, that are not, may have a really, really high income. We've got um, property taxes have gone, because of the valuations, property taxes have also gone way up. So we have a lot of people that have been in their homes for decades who are on fixed incomes, Mm -hmm. feeling like they're getting priced out of um, the community. And, you know, and there's definitely different, um, you know, in Missoula, we do have constraints because of mountains and stuff regarding where we can build it's not you know it's not like in parts of the midwest say where you know you can kind of expand in any direction i mean growth in missoula is fairly you know is challenging and 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 i don't think anyone wants to see just sort of urban sprawl for ever in, in every direction i mean that's not good for the environment not good for people's quality of life. And so I think we're sort of at this inflection point a little bit right now in communities across Montana, I think across the mountain west of trying to decide, you know, we need more housing. What's this going to look like? Is it townhomes? Is it apartments? Is it, you know, it, is it a freestanding house with a quarter acre backyard, you know? And, um, and so I, th- I think we're sort of working through those challenges and, um, and, and I mean, it's bad to, the, I mean, um, I think a lot of people, um, including myself, like are not particularly optimistic about the idea of, of home, home ownership just because of how, how, you know, how homes are just, I mean, the prices just seem to be going up and up and up. Yeah. We have that here in our town. I mean, I bought my house 12 years ago or 13, I forget, um, over a decade ago. And it was, um, 200,000 or so and now I know that the houses are so much more expensive and the new homes we have are very expensive but you can't lower the cost of housing unless you build more housing and you were talking about zoning reform and things like that I imagine when you run I don't know your background in that kind of discussion but most people aren't experts in zoning right so legislatures and city council people need to fix it but you have to really pick up the speed on the information what what kind of things can you do to kind of make a difference um, and and not something that's like, okay, 10 years from now, maybe we can get somewhat more affordable housing, but what are the kinds of things legislation-wise you can work on? Yeah, and, you know, on issues like housing, I mean, I'm not an expert in housing. I you know, my degree is in wildlife biology, but, 
Um, I listen to a lot of people that are and that do work in in housing and and have learned a, a tremendous amount. And you know, I try to approach the housing issue sort of in, in two ways. One way is, I mean, I hate to use the word deregulatory, but we do have a lot of regulations mm-hmm. at the state level that trickle down to the local level that can make it hard to build housing. Um, really time consuming. Some of it is just it's not it's not even like you know it's just like we need to hire more people to approve plans and things like that. And so I've got legislation, other people have legislation to sort of um, ease some of the, basically expedite the process so that it doesn't take a year and a half to build a few houses mm-hmm. on a good lot. Um, and then on the other side of it is um, we're trying to beef up sort of an affordable housing trust fund or workforce housing trust fund because you know, at the cost of materials and labor right now, it's hard to build a, and now interest rates, it's hard to build a house that when that, that home or apartment or condo is built is going to be priced at a level that like, you know, average people can afford. And so we're trying to put more money, um, have more money available to incentivize the development of affordable housing and to keep those homes affordable. Um, and so it's sort of, I guess it's both a little bit of the deregulation and then a little bit of the, you know, let's, let's sort of subs, I guess, if you will, subsidize um, some of the, the um, cost of bringing homes to market to make sure that then those are going to the people that, that need them. They're not getting bought up and turned into an Airbnb, but it's really challenging and it's slow. And, and um, I think people would like an immediate solution, but um, it's a little bit of a, of a long game when it comes to housing. It takes time to build homes, to bring them to market. Uh, it doesn't help when you've got supply chain issues and things like that. So um, I, I think at least in Montana, we're, um, it, I found it's, it's a pretty bipartisan issue. I think we, we all feel like you know we need to make it so that we can build homes and condos and apartments and get it and get people that that need them in them. It just, it takes time. Yeah. I just wrote down what you're saying an affordable housing trust fund. It's so hard to find good solutions, but it seems like when you're working with developers, if you can say, Hey, if you are willing to um, put in, if you're willing to take some of our money, we'll give you extra money to build Mm -hmm. housing. But that means that you will have to keep your homes at a certain rate um, or build in a certain way. That's more affordable um, in the future then you kind of encourage that developer to keep coming back because they know that there's a fund of money to use from and so you can have trusted developers and builders and also hopefully at least keep the price from going up too too consistently. Exactly. And there's some interesting, um, I don't know if you're familiar with like the community land trust model, but where, um, you know, nonprofit land trust will, will put the land that the home is on in a trust then the, um, without getting into all, all, all the details, um, then it reduces the cost, the kind of initial cost to entry of, of home ownership for the homeowner, but then the price of that home appreciates only roughly at inflation. And so it's a way to keep houses cheap by kind of keeping the land in the trust. So there, there's some really innovative um methods out there to address this I, I think it's i think we're kind of a little bit of, a, of an experimental phase but community land trusts are, are pretty neat 
Cool. Well, one of the things that is definitely important with housing right now, and I emailed you about this, is the impact of housing on different generations and mm -hmm. the rural communities and, and older people, especially um, having houses that are retrofitted to fit people, uh, aging bodies. Um, and then the property tax issues, like you said, just the, not even the tax issues, just the affordability when you don't have the same income you did years ago. Yeah. How are the issues affecting in Missoula um, older people? Because from my, what I'm seeing, a lot of these rural counties or rural parts of counties, um, they're getting older by average age because the younger people are leaving to the cities. And so that takes away a lot of services and money that would be used to help everybody. Yeah, and that's the same thing that's happening here where um, a lot of the younger people, in, not in Missoula, but in, in like eastern Montana and in some of the more rural regions of Montana, leave for school, for work, whatever it might be, which leaves an older population without the services. Um, and even in, I mean, throughout the state, we've got a nursing home crisis. Um, you know, our reimbursement rates are are completely off, um, are too low. And so kind of when you combine a lot of forces together, what we're left with is an, an aging population without the in-home care resources, without the, um, you know, for those that need a nursing home, we're struggling to, to have beds available. Um, and, and so, I mean, my feeling is that we need to really bolster in-home care, um, the resources, both on the workforce front, um, yeah, just I think across the board, and and uh, I mean I think one of the big concerns I'm hearing, and it's probably similar to what you hear, is, is that there's just not that healthcare workforce oh, yeah. right now um, in the right places, and so I think the more that we can do to try to um, um, get more young people going into healthcare, and then make it so that 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 um, Either they're incentivized to, to live where their work is most needed, like in some of these rural areas. Um, and, you know, I think that a lot of these are connect, these issues are connected in terms of there's people that might want to be, say, a nurse in uh, a rural area, but then they can't afford a, a house in that mm -hmm. area. And so I think that there's a lot of these sort of intersecting issues. Um, but it's a huge issue that I don't think there's sort of an easy answer for. Right, you're not just going to be like, oh, here's House Bill 1210, the bill that fixes all of these issues all at once. Yeah. We, we just we just need two more votes, then we'll fix everything. Exactly. Yeah, my wife works in HR for a long-term care facility type of um, company. So it's a, a multi-state organization. And she, they talk about bringing in a lot of immigrants from out of the country, um, from South America, from Africa. Um, mm -hmm. And because those are the people that can fill the roles. But then you also have in so many places in the country, whether it's a quote unquote red state or blue state, you know, some bad attitudes for people who aren't from there. Um, you know, is that something that would be important to be able to make every place in Montana and the country welcoming because you just need the workforce to help the population? Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in, in my opinion, whatever we can do to get the workforce to to help people is what we should do. And, and a lot of these jobs are tough jobs. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they're challenging and we need good compassionate people in those roles. And so to me, whether it's, a, it's changes to our immigration, um, policy that will help, you know, um, 
provide more opportunities for immigrants to come and, and work in different areas where they're most needed. I mean, to me, that's a, a, a something that we should definitely be exploring. Um, and in terms of how people would receive it, I mean, my feeling is that, you know, if somebody wants to come to our country and work in a, in a healthcare profession where, you know, again, these are, are tough jobs, like we should be encouraging and thanking them mm-hmm. um, because um, it's, it's really sad to see what's happening and, and uh, all over the country. Well, one thing we should be encouraging as well is people to run for office, which you did, thankfully, and a lot of other people did across the country, but not enough, because I'm sure you see we have a lot of um, seats that go unopposed, uh, and so some people who may be unimpressive stay in office, no matter their party, because they don't get challenged. What would you say to someone who's listening to these challenges? Um, why that you would encourage them to run for office in 2023, 2024, and beyond? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think it's daunting, but there's a lot of, you know, I would strongly encourage people to run if they're if they're interested, and 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 not be be scared by you know the, the barriers because there's a lot of people, and I think every community in the country and every state that are more than happy to help. I mean, I'm sure if somebody emailed you and said, "Hey, Tony, I'm interested in running. What would be a good first step?" You know, I'm sure that you'd be happy to point them in the right direction, as would I, and mm-hmm. and. Um, and, and those resources exist everywhere. And so, you know, it's, it, it, yes, like it is challenging to run. It's time consuming, but it's, it's, it's not as, as scary as I think it might seem. Um, especially again, when, when you have somebody or a few people that can say, you know, here's the first thing I would do, you know, and point you in the right direction. Um, and you're right, there's a lot of seats that go unopposed. I mean, my race was a really competitive one. I had a primary and a general election. Um, and 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 that's a certain type of race, but that's a partisan race. And so, you know, you're dealing with all the, you know, you have both parties sending mailers and, you know, you're in a competitive partisan race. And there's also a lot of municipal, uh, city council, county commission, um, school board, these critically important positions that, that, I mean, at least in Montana, for example, city council is nonpartisan. And so, it, you know, that can be also a great place to start. If you say, you know, I don't necessarily want to get involved in partisan politics. I, I want to serve my city or my county or my school. And that's also a great place to start. Yeah, I, I agree. It's all very important. Some of it, you know, when you talk about those housing issues or senior issues or even environmental yeah. issues, the local things are where you can get the most uh, rapid action passed. Um, totally. So you said you would be encouraging to people. Um, you've been mm-hmm. encouraging to me. If someone is interested in following you, learning more about Missoula, learning more about Montana, um, and maybe just wants to send a message, where's the best way to follow you uh, to stay connected? Yeah, I mean, I am on uh, all the social media, or I shouldn't say all, I'm not on TikTok or, or anything. Well, you but, should um, be, because even though people don't like it, I find some great content on TikTok. You know, I, and actually, since I'm a, a technically a state employee right now, I don't even think I'm allowed to be oh. on TikTok. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Jonathan Carlin, K-A-R-L-E-N. Um, you know, if you Google my name, my website will pop up, and I try to put some updates on the legislature there. I'm actually behind on that. But I, I try to post some some regular updates um, on my social media um, 
uh, to keep people in the loop on, on what's going on. And, and, um, and I'm, and going back to running, you know, I think there's just also a ton of value in people reaching out. Like I'm always happy to talk to people about running and be honest. I mean, say there's, I mean, there's a lot of great things and, and it's challenging to knock thousands of doors. Right. And so I'm always happy to share that with people. Um, and I do have people that reach out to me through social media and, and whatnot. Um, and, and, um, and that's something that I encourage and think it's good for people to reach out to the elected officials, you know, in their own community and, and in others, because, um, um, kind of the, the elected folks and, and unelected, but, um, are, are, are great resources on all sorts of, you know, for people interested in running or people that are interested in certain policy areas. Yeah. You won't know until you ask and you won't get anything done if you just stay quiet. So I'm glad you didn't stay quiet. I hope that others who are listening will will speak up as well and th- um, throw their name in the the system and make a difference. Uh, thanks so much, Jonathan, and I wish you the best of luck in uh, Montana. And hopefully, if anyone's listening, uh, hopefully some people are listening, um, they'll be encouraged to run for office too. Have a good luck in everything you're doing in Montana, and uh, obviously, good luck to uh, one of my favorite senators, John Tester, as well. <laughs> thanks, Tony. Fun chatting with you.